Hey, this is Andre Butler, pastor of Faith Experience Church. You're listening to the Faith Experience Podcast. Thank you for joining us. We hope that this message helps you engage your faith and experience the future God has for you. Good to see you, FX Church, and all who are with us for the first time. We're excited about Jesus around here. We're excited about the fact that he is risen. He got up. I'm going to say it again. He got up. Amen. Well, today we're beginning a message, or the title of my message, I should say, is The Great Exchange. The Great Exchange. And you know, growing up, I grew up, I was, of course, a preacher's kid, and so every year we would have Easter. We'd make a big deal about it. People would get real excited about it, but I was always a little bit more analytical. And so I finally reached that place where I kind of went, you know, what's, what's this big deal about Easter? What makes Easter so much better than any other Sunday? Why is it that Easter is celebrated the way it is in our country and throughout the world? And even more importantly, and some of us may be asking this question today, what does it really have to do with my life? You know, a lot of us are dealing with some things right now. We're dealing with some things emotionally, financially, physically, in our relationships, you name it. So what is Easter, what is Jesus rising from the dead have to do with me. And so I want to show you today why this matters, why Christians are so excited today, why God has dealt with you and got you here, even if you didn't realize it was God. And I want to start in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 15. It reads, now it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd anyone they wanted. And this year there was a notorious prisoner. Somebody say notorious. It means he was famous. He was well known. A man named Barabbas. As the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you? Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Now, just to give you an idea, Barabbas's crimes were well known. Right, he was notorious. So much so that when Pilate looked at all the prisoners that he had, that's the one that he picked. And I actually think that he picked him for another reason, but I'll get to that in a moment. Barabbas was, as the Bible says, a robber, a murderer, and an insurrectionist, or you could almost argue a terrorist. So this is a guy who is evil, who has done evil things, and I honestly think that Pilate picked Barabbas because he was convinced Jesus was innocent. And he wanted the people to just go ahead and let him release Jesus. I won't read all the scriptures around this because of time's sake, but if you read those scriptures, you'll find out that, you know, he was, he was impressed by Jesus. You'll find out that his wife sent him a notice right before this particular event. And she said, hey, have nothing to do with this just man. I've had some really bad dreams because of it. You'll find out even when the people let him know, no, we want you to give us Jesus. He said, hey, why? I don't understand. Why do you want to do this? And the only reason why he gave up was because they started having almost a riot. So I personally believe he chose Barabbas to say, this guy is super evil, or you can let me release Jesus. You know, this is Bin Laden, and this is Jesus. Which one do you want? And they said, we want you to give us Bin Laden. You get it? I mean, that's, that's pretty wild. So 
Verse 20, indeed, it says, Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, Which of these two do you want me to release to you? And the crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, Then what should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, Crucify him. Verse 26, So Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. This just doesn't seem fair, right? I mean, a just way for this to happen would be for Jesus to be released and Barabbas to be beat with a whip, right? For Barabbas to be crucified. Yet, in this case, what we see is that Jesus actually took Barabbas' place. In fact, I'll read the scripture to you in John chapter 10 and verse 18, just to give you an idea of what's happening from Jesus' perspective. He said, no one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. So recognize Jesus wasn't standing there facing crucifixion because he had to be. You know, there was another place in Scripture where he said, I could call down legions of angels right now to get me out of this. No, he's standing there and he's looking at evil Barabbas. And he knows he is totally holy. He's done nothing wrong. And he watches the people choose Barabbas over him and he's okay with it. Because this is why he came. He came to die for Barabbas' sake. He came to take Barabbas' place. He came to, to, to be crucified and to rise again so Barabbas could rise again. And you may say, that sounds real good for Barabbas. What does that have to do with me? You are Barabbas. You are the one who was guilty of sin. You are the one who was guilty of crimes. You are the one who deserved to go to hell. You may say, hey, pastor, I, I, I'm a pretty good person. I get you. But the bottom line is that when Adam sinned, he passed something on to all of us called sin, and all of us are guilty of sin. All of us deserve the negative things this world has, and Jesus didn't want that for me. Jesus didn't want that for you. So he saw us on the stage, and he said, I'll take their place. I'll exchange myself with them. I'll I will take it for them. This is the great exchange. Well, let's keep reading. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says it this way. It says, for God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. You know, I came across this great picture online. I'll show it to you. Hopefully I can read it from up here. But it was a cartoon and the person said, I hate the term Good Friday. And he said, why? He said, my Lord was hanged on a tree that day. And then their friend said, well, if you're going to be hanged on that day and he volunteered to take your place, how would you feel? The person said, good. The friend said, have a nice day. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. All right, so Matthew chapter 27, verse 26. Let's just keep reading the story. Somebody say, he did it for me. Turn to him and tell him, he did it for you. Anybody glad he took your place? 
Matthew 27, verse 26 says, some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the headquarters. Of course, this is after he was beat with a, uh, with, with the Bible says, we just finished reading it, a lead-tipped whip. So, of course, if you were to look at that in Scripture or you were to study that, you know that he was beat with a whip that has, they call it a cat of nine tails. And so uh, the way it was built or was made was that it had chunks of, of almost metal in it. So when it would hit his back, it would grab his skin and pull it out. So he was whipped like that, not once. One time would be enough. 39 times. Wow, anybody remember The Passion of the Christ, the movie? I only saw that movie one time because that was the only time I could take it. You're watching that and it's just, wow. Jesus did all of that in our place. Then after that, it says some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and caught out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. So they just stripped him clear, clean. That's embarrassing. They put a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches into a crown. They had to take some time. So if you're Jesus, you've been beat 39 times. You're, you're sitting, you're in all kinds of pain. And you're waiting for them to create a crown of thorns to mock you with. Then the Bible says they, they took it and put it on his head. How would it feel for one thorn to cut your head right now? They took a crown of thorns and put that on his head. Then they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they knelt before him in mockery and taunted, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and grabbed the stick and struck him on the head with it. If you study the word struck there, the word smote in the King James Version, it means to do it repeatedly. And when they were finally tired of mocking him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him again. So he is beaten, he is cut, he is humiliated. For you in your place. Then they led him away to be crucified. And after they had nailed him to the cross, let's not jump through that. The word crucified literally means to be impaled on a cross. So they laid down this cross, they took thick nails and they drove it through his hand all the way through his hand so that it would be driven into the cross deep enough so that it would hold him. And they did it with both hands. Then they did it with both his feet. Then they dropped the cross into a hole in the ground. And, you know, some say that when that happens, your bones dislocate because it's so jarring. They hang him up there for hours, and he did this in your place. If he didn't do it, this is the kind of thing you would have had to suffer. Verse 45, at noon, darkness fell across the whole land until 3 o'clock. So literally from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, it's totally dark. What's happening? Well, you know, scientists would tell you on that day there was an eclipse. The sun was blocked out. At about three o'clock, Jesus called out with a loud voice, 
And what he said was, my God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Now, understand something about Jesus. Up until this time, he had never been separated from God the Father. Ever. They were one. They'd always been together. But those of us who did not know God live our entire lives separated from God. We'll look a little bit more at that in a moment. And so for Jesus to take our place, he had to be separated from God. And this is the moment when he is. In fact, if you were to look at what the Bible said, and we read a little bit about this earlier in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it said that our sin was placed on him in that moment. It says our sickness was placed on him in that moment. Our poverty was placed on him in that moment. In fact, the Bible calls it the curse was placed on him. That's why Isaiah 52 verse 14 says, but many were amazed when they saw him. His face was so disfigured, he seemed hardly human. And from his appearance, one would scarcely know he was a man. Jesus' face and body were more disfigured than any man in history because he was bearing something no man in history had ever borne, the sin of all mankind. And then when you get back to Matthew 27 and verse 50, you notice how this ends. So then Jesus shouted out again, and he released his spirit. In that moment, he died. And you know something spiritual was happening here, uh, not only because of what I just mentioned to you, but even if you were just somebody there. In fact, the Bible talks about a centurion who was there, who watched all of this. There was an eclipse from 12 to 3 o'clock. The Bible says that when he died, the veil in the temple written too, it was a very thick curtain. It was hard to rip that thing. It ripped from the bottom to the top to the bottom. The Bible says there was an earthquake that the rocks split into. Later on, graves opened up. Something's happening here. Someone so that the centurion that was there that was supposedly watching all of this, he came to the conclusion, wait a minute, this was the son of God. Why would Jesus go through all of this? Think about this. This is a historical fact. This isn't something that someone just made up. These are historical facts. His, Jesus being alive, living on this planet, when he lived on this planet, and dying by crucifixion, no honest historian is going to tell you that that didn't happen. So why? Why go through all of this unless you needed him to? Unless the only way for you to get to the place that, that God wanted you to get there was for Jesus to take your place. The truth is, he had to do it. Look at Romans chapter 5. Let's get a little deeper into why. Somebody said again, he did it for me. Did it. Turn to him and tell him, he did it for you. Did it. So let's go under the hood a little bit. Let's figure out what, what God was thinking, what Jesus was thinking, what they were trying to accomplish. It says, when Adam sinned, anybody remember the story of Adam and Eve, right? First man, right? We know that Adam was given uh, authority over the earth. He was placed in the Garden of Eden. God said, man, you can eat of anything here but of that tree. Don't eat of that tree because man has to have free will or he wouldn't be man. God didn't want robots. So he gave man free will. He said, hey, I'm, I'm going to give you, make you a free agent. You can choose right or wrong, and I hope you choose right. Well, Adam chose wrong. He ate of that tree. That's called sin. 
And when he sinned, unfortunately, sin didn't just stop with him or Eve. The Bible says sin entered the world. So the word, the, he, the Greek word for sin is harmartia. That's why in our play we did Friday, we called it the harmartia virus. Because sin is a virus. It is a virus that entered into the world the day Adam sinned. The Garden of Eden was the Wuhan lab. <laughs> Come on now, y'all, y'all, some of y'all, what is that? That's where they say that <laughs> COVID-19 started. I don't even have to explain it. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> so literally, that's where it started. Sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone. Now, the word death here is more than just physical death. It's talking about spiritual death. What is that? Being separated from God, like Jesus was on the cross, and and becoming a slave to Satan, God's enemy. So because you're separated from God, because you really are Satan's, you're his slave, he can do to you whatever he wants. And that's how sickness got in the world, because there was no sickness in the Garden of Eden. That's how poverty got in the world. That's how all these evil things that that we look at in the world and people want to blame God for. That's how they all got in the world because basically man took the keys of the planet and gave it to Satan. And the Bible says he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. He hates us. He hates us because God gave us what he wanted. He wanted to be like God and God made us like God. And so when, when Adam sinned, he, we all caught this, we, we got this virus called sin, and the result of this virus was spiritual death and all the terrible things that come with it. So when God looked at the planet, he saw a world that was lying in darkness, a world full of people he loved, and he created to enjoy life, suffering. And then when they would die, instead of coming to heaven with him, they go down to a hell he didn't even create for them. He created for his enemy. So God had to do something about that. And the way the spirit world is is not all that different than the natural world and that there are laws. And one law is the paycheck for sin is death. The only way you can pay for sin is something has to die. That's why in the Old Testament, what God would do was he would have Israel kill a a, a goat or kill a cow, kill something and and put the blood on the altar as a way of of paying for their sin temporarily until someone's blood would come who could wash away all of their sin. Anybody say what his name is? Jesus. So let let me get some help from some guys and kind of help you with this. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Some of these guys step up in front of me if you would. And I have Aaron just sit back here for a moment. So I have three of you guys up here. So let's just say, for example, sake, this is Adam. Adam sinned is your fault. Why you do this, man? No. So he catches the virus of sin. As a father... When he gives birth to his son, Cain, he's born with that virus. He didn't have to do anything to get it. He's born with it. And then when he gives birth to his son, he's born with that virus. And this goes on for thousands of years. Everybody born in the earth is born with the virus of sin. 
Guess what you can't do to fix it? Just grab another guy. Let me grab you, John, for a second. And have him some here, somehow come in and, and stop it. He can't. Why? He got the same virus. So if you can step away for a minute. So instead, what he did was he brought Jesus in. Come in, Aaron. <laughs> we got light-skinned Jesus here. <laughs> he was born without a father. Remember? Without a father. So that virus doesn't pass on to him. The virus stops right there. And now, because he's come to stop the virus, these guys have a choice. So now John can come and he can either follow Aaron and be virus free. Or he can decide to come over here and, and still have the sin virus. But now they have a choice. Thank you guys so much. So that's what God was doing. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever had a choice, now they have a choice, whoever believes in him, they don't have to have the sin virus. They don't have to be, they don't have to be separated from God. They don't have to perish and go to hell. They could have everlasting life. That's why he went through what he went through. He did it for you. But you know what? That wasn't the only price that had to be paid. In Acts chapter 2, verse 24, this is talking about Jesus again. It says, whom God raised up. Anybody glad God raised him up? Anybody glad he got up? Why? Why did he have to get up? Think about that. If he already died from my sins, isn't the job done? No. God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death. The word pains there literally means pangs, like a woman in childbirth. So, so wait a minute, I thought he was already dead. How could he still be feeling the pains of death? Because death is more than physical. We've already said that. It's spiritual. So he was feeling the pangs of death. Where? Well, if you jump down to verse 31, he goes on to say, He foreseeing this spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades. We often don't call it Hades today. We call it hell. In fact, there's multiple scriptures that mention that Jesus, after he died on that cross, went to hell. And some religious people have a hard time with that. Well, he couldn't have gone to hell. You know, he said, it is finished. Yeah, that face. But Jesus himself prophesied, I'm going to spend three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Romans 10 says that he descended into the deep of the earth. Ephesians chapter 4 or talks about the very same thing. He descended and he ascended. Jesus went to hell. And he didn't go as a tourist. What happens in hell? Look at Luke 16. We just read about one man that Jesus, Jesus uh, told about in verse 22. It says, and being in torments in Hades, 
he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Then he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. For I am tormented in this flame. So in hell, there is, you are tortured. I'm, I'm thirsty. I got a little water here. I can dip the tip of my finger in it, put it on my tongue, and I, that did absolutely nothing for me. Man, I'm, I'm kind of offended. But in hell, this man was so tormented that that would have brought relief. You know, we, we, in our country, we've had debates over torture, waterboarding, I believe is the term, and others, and how inhumane that is. But can you imagine being tortured for eternity? Jesus described hell as a place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. How much pain are you in when you're gnashing your teeth? The Bible calls it the place of outer darkness. You can't see your hand. All you can see is the flames. It says it's the place where the worm dieth not. And Jesus was dragged down into hell. And what do you think Satan did when he got Jesus there? Because, you know, he's the one that ultimately orchestrated this crucifixion. At least he thought he was. You know they had a party. They thought they won. We got God's son. We got Jesus. You think he was tortured on that cross. Maybe one day when we get to heaven, we'll see how much he was tortured in hell. And he had to be. The price for our sin was more than suffering on earth. It was suffering in hell. Jesus had to bear our sin and fully suffer death for us. And he knew that. He knew how terrible hell would be. The scriptures I just read to you, some of the others I mentioned to you, there are scriptures from what, what Jesus said. Jesus said those things. Torments, outer darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. He knew exactly what he was getting into, and he did it anyway because he loved you that much. Somebody say, he did it for me. Well, the good news is, that's not the end of the story. What happened next? Well, the Bible teaches us he was there for three days. And, and I know I can't wait to get to heaven and watch this on screen. Or who knows, hologram, who knows what the God's going to have. You know, and Satan's in hell and his... his his demons, and they're throwing whatever type of party they can throw, and they're celebrating. And then, you know, the Holy Spirit, when he comes in a place in the Scripture, it seems like he comes in noisy. You know, you notice that he comes in with a rushing mighty wind, or the place starts shaking. I can imagine them in hell doing whatever they do, and all of a sudden, what's that noise? What noise? You ain't hear that? They turn, look at Jesus, and the Bible says that Jesus was raised by the exceeding power of God, the glory of God. So maybe he's sitting over here and he's still chained up and he's still suffering and all of a sudden, bam, he gets hit by the power of God and he's energized and he looks up at the devil 
And the Bible says in Colossians 2 verse 15 that he actually spoiled principalities and powers. Well, we wouldn't say spoiled today. We'd say he kicked their butt. Come on, the word spoil means to throw off. So they were on him, enjoying their victory. He got hit by the power of God, and all of a sudden, bam, he throws them off of them, and then he starts kicking their tail, runs over to the devil, and takes from him the very thing he came to hell to get. Because there was something else going on here. God had a plan all along. The Bible said had Satan known, he never would have crucified Jesus. As much fun as he had seeing him beaten, seeing him whipped, seeing him nailed to a cross, seeing him suffer and and hell, he never would have did it if he understood what God was doing. See, because Satan thought he had Jesus now forever, and he thought he had you and I forever, and he was about to lose them all because Jesus came and died and rose again with some keys Revelation 118 notice what said and I saw him I fell at his feet as dead but he laid his right hand on me saying to me do not be afraid for I am the first and the last I am he who lives and was dead. You know you bad when you can say, I was dead. (laughs) And behold, I am alive forevermore, amen, and I have the keys of Hades and of death. What is that? What do you mean the keys of Hades and of death? The keys of hell and the grave. See, when Adam sinned, we had Adam up here earlier, right? When Adam sinned, what he did, I said it, he gave Satan the keys to the planet. He gave him the keys of hell and the grave, which meant that Satan now had the right to cause every person born into the planet to be born separated from God. And he had the right that when they died, they'd have to go to hell. And everything spiritual is legal. God had to honor that. He gave, he gave those keys to Adam. Adam gave the keys to Satan. Now God's got to work for thousands of years to get it back. He's got to trick Satan into taking Jesus to where the keys are. Get Satan to let his guard down. Energize Jesus. And then have him take those keys back. And he did. When Jesus rose again, he said, all power is given unto me and heaven and earth. I got all the authority now. In other words, I got them keys. I got them keys. I got them keys. Which now means that instead of everybody who was born in the planet having to have the sin virus and die and go to hell, people now have a choice. Because he didn't just take the keys and then keep them. He took the keys and he gave them to you. Remember, that's how God started, right? He put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he gave them all these trees. And he said, there's one you can't eat of because I want you to have free will. Some people argue, well, if God's so good, why does he let this happen? Let that happen? Because God wanted you to be you. He didn't want you to be a robot. Just like anybody else, he wanted you to choose to love him, not be made to love him. So Adam and Eve had free will. They could choose 
to love God and live, live the life he had for them, or they could choose to partake of that tree. Jesus came and got the keys, and he gave them to you and said, you're back in the garden. Except, unfortunately, now the garden is full of darkness, but there's one tree right in the middle. His name is Jesus. And if you believe in him, you can avoid the darkness and you can rule and reign in this life. You can know God and find freedom and discover your purpose and make a mark. And heaven will be your home. And Jesus got the job done. And that is why we're here today to celebrate. It's not just that he went to the cross. Christianity is not a cross religion. It's a throne religion. Come on now. It's not a, we, we, we wear crosses around our neck and thank God for that. We should thank God that he loved us so much that he allowed himself to go through that. But we really should be wearing open, open tombs around our neck if it made any sense. Come on now. We should be having thrones around our neck because now that he rose again, we also are arisen from the dead. And instead of being dominated by this world and by Satan, we can rule and reign over him. And he did it for you. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2 says in this way, it says, even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace you've been saved. Notice this, for he raised us from the dead along with Christ. As far as God is concerned, when you choose to believe in him, God says, all right, I count it as though you rose from the dead too. As far as I'm concerned, you're right next to Jesus. In fact, the next scripture reads, or next verse says, and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So we are risen with him and we reign with him. We don't have, you don't have to be sick. You don't have to be poor. Your family doesn't have to be destroyed. You don't have to be depressed. You don't have to have anxiety or mental illness. You don't have to be afraid of, of natural disasters or, or supposed climate change. You don't have to have any of that stuff. You are far above all of that. God has given you everything you need to live a life that is far greater than what you see in the world around you. The choice is now yours. And we live in a world with an enemy, so you're going to have to fight for what you want. God says God has made you an overcomer. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. But if you fight, you are guaranteed to win. The choice is now yours. That's what he did for you. 10 Corinthians 5, 17 says this means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. That's what we celebrate. This is what the great exchange is all about. Jesus took our place, died, and rose again so that those of us who were dead could rise again and become new people in him so that we could have the future God wants us to have. So what does this mean for my life today? Well, it means that if you make the choice that God wants you to make, your entire life can change. You came in here with some issues today. You came in here with some problems. You came in here struggling in some areas. And, and for a lot of people, those things take them out. There are people that struggle with anxiety for their entire lives. There are people that die early because of sickness. There are people that, that see their families broken apart over strife. 
There are people that are paralyzed by their fear. There are people that, you know, they allow their hearts to be turned dark and they become as, as evil as Hitler or what we're seeing with Putin. I mean, all around us, we see people hurting, people trying everything they can to fill the void in their heart. Whether it's sleeping with men or women they're not married to, it's drugs, it's weed, it's alcohol, it's gambling, trying to to feel this this void, trying to to be happy. That's where some of us are right now. And God has, has brought you here today, has got your attention today to say there's a better way. He did all of that. So you could see, you could choose one of two ways. Like we had Aaron up here, light-skinned Jesus. You could come up and lie next to Jesus. And I'm not telling you your life's going to be perfect. You're going to have some challenges. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers us out of them all. And your life is going to make a difference in this world. Or you could ignore that God sent Jesus and get right back in the line like everybody else and have the same results everybody else has. You can get away with doing some stuff for a while, but it always catches up with you you. The choice is yours. He did it for you so you could choose. And that's what Romans 10, 9 and 10 talks about. He says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. By the word saved because you needed to be saved. With the heart, one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. So for some in here, some with us online, the question really for you is, are these things real? Are spiritual things real? That's really where, where we're at. Or is this just some story that gullible people all over the world believe? You know, if they're real, you live in a world that's been created by a being that loves you more than you can understand. If they're real, there's more going on in this world than what you see. There's a spirit world that's pulling the strings. If they're real, then, then there is a heaven. There is a hell to avoid. There is a path to take to have the life you want through Jesus and another path. question is, is it real? What God has done is he's given you a number of things to show you he's real. The Bible says nature itself exhibits that God's real. People ask the question all the time, what about people who never hear the gospel? How would they know about Jesus? Well, first of all, the Bible says nature itself preaches about God. I mean, you get up in the morning, you look at the sun, you look around. I was, I was online, I posted something online the other day and and some guy commented, no, we are gods. We are gods. Stop telling people we're, you're a god and of yourself. And, you know, I was good because I almost, <laughs> almost commented back. If you are a god, let's see you make a planet. I didn't. Y'all must be praying for me. They took a scripture out of context and created a, a religion out of it. But, you know, the fact that you're going to go outside and even in Michigan, you're going to see the sun today. <laughs> that every single person in this room 
has a unique fingerprint. That you can feel this, see this, touch this, think this. It takes more faith to believe that all just happened than it does that somebody created that. I mean, what in this world ever just comes into being? If there is a painting, there must be a painter. Or in Detroit, if there is an automobile, there must be an automobile company. I mean, come on now, there's a factory, right? Nothing in the world works like that. Things just appear. That by itself says something. How about the miracles that so many people have, have experienced? I mean, anybody here could say God's healed you supernaturally or done other things. Look, at, look around, look at those hands. You know, at some, there's so many stories of people, and I, I'm a preacher's kid. I've grown up in church my whole life, so I grew up skeptical at first. But after a while, I saw so many things. I mean, at what point do you just kind of go, yeah, goodness. I, mean, I remember being in a service. I still remember being in a service. I was about 18 years old, and there was this woman in the front, and she had a wheelchair, and, you know, she wasn't, obviously she couldn't walk. And God's power fell, and I still remember seeing a woman in front of the church dancing. You know, she was a little old lady, but she was dancing. Oh, you couldn't walk a minute ago. I know people heal from cancer. I know people, I know, I've seen so many miracles, not to mention in my own life. Can anybody say God's done some other miracles in you? There is a reason why there are billions of people all over the planet waking up tomorrow. He's risen! What about that tug that's in your heart right now? You know, the Bible says God stands at the door and knocks. And Jeremiah 31 says, God has loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, he has drawn you. Your whole life, he's been knocking. Your whole life, he's been saying, come here. I want you to come to me. Come to my family. Your whole life, that's how you're here today. That's how you're hearing this message, because he orchestrated things. So you would be here, so you could hear this message, so you would just believe in him. And not perish, but have everlasting life. If you need more proof of the resurrection, let me give you a couple of them. Number one, the eyewitnesses, including their martyrdom. And these are proofs that the historians use when they, they, they try to establish whether something that supposedly in history happened, that happened, actually happened. So number one, the eyewitnesses, their testimony, the apostles' testimony passes with flying colors all historical test. The Bible itself is not some, you know, unreliable history book. It is number one in manuscript authority. In other words, when you try to compare the Bible's historical accuracy with the historical accuracy of any other book we have, any other ancient book, the Bible comes in number one. It's not even close. So if you're going to throw this out, Throw out all your history books and let's go take history all over again. Okay? But the, the biggest thing about the eyewitnesses, though, is how they died. Ten of the eleven apostles died as martyrs. And you may say, well, that doesn't mean that, you know, what you believe is true. People die as martyrs all the time. No, but it does mean that you believe it's true. And if I'm Peter and y'all about to take me to be crucified upside down, and I know what that looks like. And I know I made this up. I'm on. Hold up, dog. My bad. We was just kidding. We thought it was cool. 
But man, these guys, they allowed themselves to be killed in gruesome ways because they knew what they said was true. He was risen. The cover-up. History tells us they tried to cover this up. Of course, you know, you don't cover up something unless it already had happened. We know that in politics, right? Number three, the empty tomb. It's a historical fact that Jesus' tomb was empty on Easter morning. They only found the burial cloths. To this day, they have yet to bring forth the body of Jesus. You know if they could, they would. Number four, the prophetic record. There were 109 separate and distinct predictions about the Messiah written hundreds and thousands of years before he ever came. The odds of one man completing or or fulfilling just uh, uh, even 20 of those, 109, was one in what quadrillion to 125 trillion to one. Yet Jesus fulfilled every single one of them. Born of a virgin in Bethlehem, betrayed the way he was betrayed, died the way he died, rose the way he rose. All this was predicted well before he came. And is it a coincidence that the most famous person in history happens to be named what? Jesus? Hmm. Not to mention, changed lives. It's a very good chance the person sitting next to you or somebody commenting with you online, they're celebrating this because this truth has changed their life. They were lost and now they're found. And that's probably how you got here today because they're telling you, I have found the answer. And I want you to meet him. His name is Jesus. Thank you for tuning in to another Faith Experience Podcast. Remember, God has a future for you.